everybody. Thanks for joining us today on the DCB podcast. Actually, our first podcast in person. Super excited to Woo-hoo. have you guys here. Um, my name's Johnny. Here with me is the other host, Jared, and uh, Ryan from Microsoft. Ryan, for uh, people that don't know you, please introduce yourself. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Hausnecht. I am a senior security researcher at Microsoft. Uh, prior to that, I was the red team manager at Raytheon Technologies. And then before that, I actually worked for Spectre Ops as a consultant. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, so being on the research team at Microsoft, you deal with a lot of Azure, correct? Yeah. So my group and companies, several aspects of Microsoft. So we're on the Azure uh, platform side of things. And then we cover devices. So things like Microsoft Surface, stuff like that. And then actually gaming. So all of Xbox services fall under our group as well. Soon to be Red Team WoW member, right? I hope so. That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, you told me a cool story before we get started about WoW this Mm -hmm. week. I thought it was pretty interesting. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, absolutely. So I attribute my entire IT career to World of Warcraft. Um, When I was in uh, middle school, uh, World of Warcraft was just starting to be, you know, a pretty big game. And I had this hand-me-down computer for my dad. And I, a friend uh, lent me his CDs to install World of Warcraft, which back then it was like six CDs uh, to install the game. So after I installed it, I realized that this computer was crap and couldn't run the game. <laughs> so uh, I, that kind of like made me want to build a custom computer and you know, learn about like computers, how to build them, and that stuff. And then once I did that, I realized like this is a lot of fun and this really interests me. So I kind of like picked that up as a hobby, got really into you know hardware, stuff like that. And then uh, that kind of just led me into majoring in computer science and stuff like that in college. And just from there, it just snowballed. And you still play WoW to this day? Still play WoW to this day. Yep. Actually, so much to it, you got me to start playing WoW a little bit this week. <laughs> can, you, can you explain to Johnny what a CD is? <laughs> I actually, uh, I built a server recently. Well, I didn't build a server. I bought a server and I had to get a hard drive for it. And I was running a bunch of VMs, um, and it was just running dog slow. And then I realized, like, I've never ran a computer that didn't have an SSD on it before. Oh, man. And I was like, this is <laughs> – how did people live back in Jared's day with floppy disks, man? Oh, man. So way back when, um, one of my first, like, accomplishments that I felt accomplished doing some computer-type stuff, I think I was, I don't know, maybe 9, 10 or something like that. I was on my dad's uh, PC. It was running, I don't know, probably Windows, like, 98 or something like that. And – got corrupted somehow so i actually had to reinstall windows through floppy disks yeah oh, uh, you had to install it on like 10 or 12 floppy disks or something like that to back it up yeah it was you know the save icon that's funny so dealing yeah. with azure uh pretty regularly what would you say yeah. what is one of your favorite things about the azure architecture mm-hmm. and then one of your least favorite things today yeah so i think one of the really cool things about Azure is the amount of services that it offers and how it's broken down. So for example, right, if you're a company, let's say you develop an application um, and you have multiple customers using that application, you can easily build that out. So each customer is billed, you know, based on the amount of usage for that application. So you can look in a subscription and see, hey, this customer is using the application this much, therefore they're going to get billed this amount of dollars. It makes it really easy to break that down. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, one thing I've noticed when inside of Azure, I recently built out Sentinel just to see what the login was like, and the billing was pretty straightforward, which was pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, actually. Um, is, yep. And But one thing I realized um, whenever going through the logging piece um, is it seemed like it was kind of a little bit of a struggle to like push the data that you wanted to. So it seemed right. like there was, I'm not um, as like well 
versed in Sentinel as you might be, but it seemed like if you wanted security events, for example, one of security events, yep. you had like three options. It was like not much, half, or complete. Yeah. Um, uh, no granularity. No granularity. Right. Um, but yep. I was talking to Olaf Hartong, and he mentioned that there is a way to do the granularity, which is nice. But even Sysmon, for example, you have to you have to push it push through a function that essentially parses all of the mm-hmm. the logs appropriately. And it just seemed like a little bit of a hash, hassle, which I mean, it seems like a great solution because I love KQL, right? Like KQL's right. language yep. is yep. Um, I'm a big Jupyter Notebooks junkie, but I mean, KQL yep. can do essentially the majority of things that Absolutely. You know, yep. Notebook can. So I love that. But from the Azure side, in terms of logging outside of Sentinel, outside of like right. sending logs to Azure or Sentinel, yep. what would you say like, the, how is the logging, if someone performs an action inside of Azure, right? how would you correlate that? So there's two logs? ways to look at Azure logging, right? You have the actual, like Defender uh, in the cloud, right? So yep. You know, you can have on-premise stuff, install an agent, and have it push logs to Azure Defender and Cloud. The other thing is, like, actual operations that occur inside Azure. Okay. Yep. So, you know, when you have stuff on-prem, you can obviously install any type of logging that you want. You can sysmon, right? Yep. And then from there, it's, it's pretty straightforward to get it pushed to Defender Cloud. Um, the issue comes when you start looking at actual operations inside Azure. Yep. You're dependent on the amount of data that Microsoft gives you. You can't install like Sysmon for cloud, right? That does, yeah, yeah. That's not a thing. Yep. Um, so that is one of the pain points there. And then in addition to that, Defender for Cloud is not free. One of the issues I had when I initially started doing Azure research, and Andy Robbins can also attest to this because we had many conversations on this, is a licensing behind it is kind of frustrating at points. Yep. It's opaque, maybe. Very opaque. Um, and, you know, it's expensive. Yep. Uh, it's very, very expensive, especially, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Sentinel is not cheap by any means. And even, you know, Defender for Cloud is not cheap. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a pain point. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it does help and it works for the most yeah. part. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely get into talking about what logs are available to in Azure and Azure operations a little bit later, but yeah, yeah happily. Yeah, so it's like, uh, I'm not super uh, well-versed on like what is available in Defender for Cloud, but it appears to me that when we're talking about like cloud monitoring, a lot of it's like yeah. control, I don't know if this is the proper terminology, but control plane, like introspection. So like you're looking at like who authenticated where, yeah. you're looking at like somebody started a VM yep. or stopped a VM. Yep, exactly. Changed something, but it's not like, that like you're not get, like the information from a specific system is going to be yes. equivalent to what on-prem data so would be. I think one of the most, I think one of the major focuses that Microsoft has when creating logs around you know endpoints and stuff like that in mm-hmm. services in Azure is not actually the security, but more along like the the usability and stuff, like mm. how much resources something is using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're okay. very concerned about that. And then you see, like, you know, a lot of the logs that you get, some of the stuff is lacking. So to give you an example, in Azure, if you have a virtual machine, um, you can run commands on that virtual machine through the Azure portal. Okay. These commands are ran as systems, stuff like that. You need the appropriate Azure permissions to do that. In Azure, when you do that, when you run a command on a VM through the portal or even through, like, PowerShell or something like that, it will create a log in Azure's activity log, which okay. is, like, their event viewer. Yep. Um, and it'll tell you the details, such as you know timestamps, time who the user was that ran it, um, the VM name, stuff like that. One crucial detail that's missing is what command was actually. Run. Oh wow! Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's like okay, well, you know, there's a big difference between somebody running like you know, I, I don't know, LS versus 
uh, a PowerShell sure. cradle download. Yeah. I guess you could so. potentially correlate from the system logs, like so. The, that's so yeah, the security what, logs. to get around that. Um, there's artifacts left behind on yeah. the actual system, and you can easily pull, you know, what was run and stuff like that. But uh, you know, having that availability in the logs is much more yeah. convenient and well, easier. One of the one so. of the things that we run into a lot is obviously like the whole idea of detection is you have a constrained set of resources and you're trying to approach like uh, you're trying to divvy those out in the most appropriate fashion, right? right? Or the most effective. Right. And the the problem with like this type of situation is like knowing that a command was run mm-hmm. does not give you any information that would allow you to Absolutely. narrow your focus, right? And so like, Absolutely. yeah, once I know that I'm interested in this log line, yep. I can very easily correlate that with something that actually provides context. Yep. Yeah. But there's no way, like there's no way for me to know that I'm interested in one line over exactly. the other, yeah. exactly. which defeats the entire, almost like, well, so, from a from a detection perspective, it defeats yeah. the purpose. One, one thing I've thought of um, and been interested in recently is like, how do we look at logs and identify which are more valuable and which not, mm-hmm. right? And one thing I've noticed when looking at these, like we look at Sysmon and Sysmon's great, right? Because like, Absolutely, yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's free yep. um, and people use it a lot and it's well developed. But I think the reason why Sysmon's so good is that it has a security mindset behind it yeah, when it was absolutely. being developed. Yep. Um, and I think that's the re- reason why people love it so much, where it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like these Azure logs were just made from a development, more like debugging standpoint, and to understand like when are these resources being used, how they're being used, and who, instead yeah. of what was being ran that could yeah. be potentially malicious and from a security standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Um, I think one of the cool things that is really nice about cloud and cloud research in general um, is it develops very quickly. Yeah. So the Azure that I started researching, you know, three years ago is very different than it is today. Yeah. Um, you know, even though that feature in activity log for commands being run isn't there today, it could very well be next week, right? Absolutely. And it's um, con- wholly owned and controlled by Microsoft, right? So there's no issue with like patching and exactly. the, like from when it's issued to when it gets, yeah. it's exactly. like once it, somebody has it, everybody has it. There's yeah. no offset of time there. Right, yeah. absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, so it develops very quickly. Um, I know like, you know, when I started researching, Defender for Cloud was not a thing. And, you know, now that it is, a tool that I write called PowerZure for, uh, you know, assessing PowerZure, yeah. power, uh, assessing Azure security via PowerShell, it has a lot of, like, functions that script out tasks that could be, you know, for either enumeration, for actual exploitation, stuff like that. And there's actually rules in Defender Cloud specifically for PowerZure. Mm-hmm. So okay. it can detect when... A user, for example, is like scanning all users and their groups that they belong to and stuff yeah. like that. Even mm-hmm. though inherently that's not a malicious command, yeah. it still knows that based on the behavior of how that command is run or how that function is run through PowerZure, it knows that it is PowerZure. One so. thing that I just thought of that's kind of uh, it kind of mirrors the uh, the Active Directory enumeration perspective. Yeah. Like one thing that we when I first started in like cybersecurity, we used to use PowerShell commands and like if we wanted a list of running processes, yeah. we would literally query like Git process yeah. through PowerShell on every system. And like yeah. as obviously as you scale, that becomes more and more complicated yeah. <laughs> um, because now you like you have to hit every system individually. Right, exactly. An interesting thing about like like Bloodhound was able to do this because you can get a vast majority of the necessary information without actually hitting individual systems. Yeah. But it seems like one benefit of the like control plane in, in Azure or in any cloud, I guess, is that you have a centralized, like a, it's it's centralized, right? So if yep. I want to know information about what's happened within a specific account, I just hit one time. Like I need Absolutely. to make one request. 
probably not actually one request, but conceptually, like you're well, hitting one place and to, you get yeah. everything. No, absolutely. You're right. You're 100% right. So if, say, let's take that example, right? You want to know what ports are open on a virtual machine in, in Azure. You could easily pull one command, all of the network security groups, and then see what rules are open on yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so one command enumerates all network security groups exactly. for all of all of an Azure account yep. or whatever. And yep. you might need to string like maybe two commands. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, one thing that um, seems to be a common question with Azure is like its availability to like multiple customers. So I guess like one thing that I've like dug into is the Sentinel one's the best example I can think of, and maybe MDE um, mm-hmm. Defender for Endpoint is. Um, at what point is the service worth the price? I yeah. guess because as we know, yeah. like it's it's relatively expensive, but like yep. Microsoft does a good job at what they do. Everybody yep. likes to you know essentially shit on Microsoft constantly. Yeah. Um, this isn't a PG podcast, and thank God I can say shit. Um, <laughs> but like on Twitter and things think like that. Think about that statement. Thank <laughs> God I can say shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, but they like to shit on Microsoft for a lot of different things. But the question is like. Could they do it better in their own organization, or do they have right. the technology to do it better? And do we have the minds to do it better? Yeah. Um. But one thing I'm curious about is Sentinel, for example, MDE is expensive. Yeah. Um. So it's not going to fit all the mom and pop shops. Absolutely. Right. So would you say that with Microsoft and their um, solutions, it's more meant for the medium to large level organizations out there? So, yes and no. Um. I think like, you know, when you're getting into that type of detection and stuff like that, let's say you own a bakery shop, right? Yeah. I don't think you're going to need Sentinel in general. No, yeah, I don't think yeah. you'll need any type of product at that level. Uh, you know, at that same point, is it, you're always going to look at the cost of something, running something on premise versus yeah. in. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, d- detection and stuff like that for a small business like whatever bakery something like that and then you go to medium-sized business let's say you know a thousand employees and something i think there's different tiers to those detections in general and you know those offerings aren't available in azure because like you said i think sentinel is definitely geared towards a more yeah uh, mature customer or someone that has that budget i feel like it's definitely for people who want to be a lot more hands-off i feel like because like for example like um, you know, we used to talk about this a lot, the data pipeline. Um and like going through and standardizing the data, et cetera, pushing it through. Um you don't have to worry about that with MDE um, right. going to Sentinel. Like they should take the majority of that for you outside of like having to send a function through for Sysmon and things like that. Right. Um but is would you say that there's a lot of good scalability when it comes to the logs um once it's available? Uh yeah, I mean it's really simple. Uh, just to search in Azure logs for something. Yeah. So that you can actually take, you know, you have your standard activity log in Azure uh, that, you know, has an interface where you can filter and stuff like that. But you can actually export all those logs and filter them directly to another service in Azure yeah. called Log Analytics that oh, has yeah. A, yeah. a KQL backend that yeah. you can just run, you know, Kusto. Yeah, that was one thing I was yeah. told about was Log Analytics versus Sentinel. I, yeah. I like, I didn't know that there was a difference mm-hmm. apparently. If you just want like raw logs, like yep. log analytics is the way to go versus yep. Sentinel and things like that. Again, the, the issue is you're subject to what Microsoft offers in the logs. So yeah. you're not, again, uh, like... There's no granularity or configuration that you can put behind. It seems, it seems to me that Sentinel is, A, uh, provides a longer window of how how many logs you could keep, like a retention, a larger retention I think, window. I think MDE and Sentinel are both 90 days. I think <sighs> I Sentinel thought, you can extend. I think like, you can extend, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, like I... I know at least one instance where they have six months. But oh wow! Yeah, the um, and then you, you have a better correlative capability, I think, in KQL. Sentinel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then you know you get also get into 
at certain points, I think prevention is yeah. It also um, comes in very handy for those small businesses. So it's a lot cheaper, for example, to enable Defender Cloud than it is to run Sentinel. Yeah. Oh. So for small businesses, you know, yeah. I'll just pay the extra, you know, however much it is. It's not it's not crazy expensive for Defender Cloud uh, a month, and then you get the prevention with that instead yeah. of actually having to write detection well, and stuff. Like yeah, that. we talk about like I well we I talk about the fun, <laughs> the funnel of fidelity idea right. where you have right. yeah collection detection triage investigation yeah. and remediation. Yep. The smaller an organization is, the more all of that needs to be automated basically, right? And yeah. so yep. and but like the more automated something is, the less. Uh, comprehensive it will probably be yep, because it, absolutely. it has to be more generic yep, by nature yeah. right so definitely yeah well one thing i noticed when like building all this out was the confusion there was and what you needed to build out the permissions you need to build it out and yeah. how it all kind of yeah. flowed together i mean yeah microsoft docs are there to like help you out but it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's microsoft docs yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's still pages when i when i look for uh certain like api stuff on the docs for you know whether it's azure rest api or something like that uh there's still like sections where it says Please fill in oh, <laughs> like, yeah. on the actual like, box. I, I'm like, <laughs> I remember uh, two instances. One, I was uh, talking to Cody Thomas about Apple logs, and while yeah. I was complaining about Microsoft, he goes, "Go look up Apple logs real quick." Yeah, and I learned like to stop complaining about Microsoft logs. Yeah, and there was one time, um, obviously, like I've looked into RPC quite a bit, and they have this RPC event, but it just on, on the event ID it says seems to never like data never seems to appear, and it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Should somebody figure that out? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I think it's like uh, the current agile Microsoft. We're we're judging their logging against the less agile old Microsoft. Yeah. And so like the more agile yeah. Microsoft, you constantly are finding things that are possible that yep. aren't well documented. I suppose. Yeah. Yep. Logs. I've been saying logs. I mean doc documentation. Right. Right, right. Um. But yeah, Apple. I think never really. From my understanding, I never really had a robust documentation yeah. thing for yeah. people to work with. Like a lot of it is Unix based, right? So you would look yep. at Unix documentation and man pages and yep. all that kind of stuff. But yep. yeah, there's no like, there is Apple specific documentation. It's just right. like if you were to be pro, like API programming in Apple is way less documented than Microsoft API programming for sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. One, would you say it'd be fair to like, compare normal activity within an on-prem environment, right? Say a Windows environment, they're mm -hmm. moving around, doing something. Mm -hmm. Would be fair to compare the complexity of those logs or the consistency of those logs to Azure logs? I would almost say no, because it seems like Azure is just a layer above that for seeing like virtual machines and like putting everything in the cloud. But it's what are they doing with the Azure resources on right. top of the virtual machine? Right, yeah. So... It depends really, it depends on the service itself, right? So, you know, you don't get the amount of granularity with a virtual machine that you would hope and yeah. some functions for that service. But, you know, other services like, let's say you have a SQL uh, service running in Azure. Yeah. You know, I don't think it tells you specifically what SQL commands are run. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Okay. Um, Wait, but you can, could think, you put logging on that SQL server? Exactly. So that's what you would have to do. So that's where yeah, log yeah. analytics service comes into play is you would have not only just the Azure activity logs feeding into log analytics, but you would need some type of additional logging capability on the VM or on the SQL server that also feeds a log analytics. Isn't isn't one wow. of the problems with the like one of the problems with the cloud, I guess, is that there's a lot of serverless stuff going on yeah. too. So like yeah. stuff that traditionally you would have a VM or a or a you yep. know a real system that you would have a service that's providing some like a Windows service, let's say that's providing right. some functionality. Now that's happening 
kind of like fully within the control plane without yeah. a VM yep. altogether. And so like in theory, you could like you used to be able to put Sysmon on it, and now that just kind of yeah, is this like magical have, figment yeah. of right. that exactly. You, you, it's like there. it's not even a tangible thing; it's just happening. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I think you know Azure is. When I first was told that I was going to be put on an Azure assessment, this was like, you know, three years ago when I was at Spectre Ops, I was excited and scared because, one, I really was interested in Azure because I didn't know anything about yeah. it. Yeah. But also I was scared because I knew it was a beast and I knew nothing about it. So yeah. it's like I had, you know, X amount of time to get prepared for this customer's assessment and become security competent in something yes. to give like an actual, uh, you know, decent consultancy job on. So, um at that time, it was even still. I would argue that Azure is not as researched um, as much as it can be. And I think while there's more researchers out there, there's still you know uh, several big names out that you expect content from or always reference their blogs. Yeah. So I remember when I was at DerbyCon, I think it was either the very last DerbyCon or the one before that. I went to a talk by Carl Fossen of NetSpy, and I remember watching his Azure uh, presentation. And I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. There's a lot of stuff here. I'm like really curious about it. And then like two months later, I got put on this Azure assessment. So referencing his blogs and stuff like that, um, there was just so much there. And there's so many services offered that it's like, man, there's so much like research capability here. Untapped yeah. potential. Untapped potential. And you just have, you know, it's a giant playground. Yeah. I, so I always tell people it's like when you get into the industry, uh, it's it's good to have a baseline of knowledge, right? So like you yeah. want to be able to talk about Active Directory and you want right. to be able to talk about the cloud and on-prem and yep. endpoint like detection and response. You want to be able to talk about everything yep. at a generic level. But like the thing that sets people apart is like you find a niche that you become yes. an expert in, right? Yes, so absolutely. like you need to have everything generally and then you find the thing that yep. like Will Schroeder is or like Sean Metcalf would be active directory people, yep, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that there's two paths that you could go. You go to like a well-known thing where there's lots of documentation, it's easy to learn. Yeah. But the barrier to expert, like <laughs> oh, yeah. expert expertise, is relative. Yeah. I think, right? So, yeah. like the barrier to expert is relatively high. Yes. Um, because you have to learn more than Sean Metcalf knows to be yep. an expert, yeah. right? Or like you know, probably not. But you get you get. Yeah. What I'm saying. Right. And then, uh, but then you have something like Azure three years ago, where the barrier to relative expert to where you know more than everybody you're talking to yeah. is relatively low. But the problem is, is you gotta you have to be able to reverse engineer yeah. everything because there's yeah. no documentation. Yep. Be, otherwise, everybody would be an expert. Right? Exactly. No, a lot of it was just taking it from the kind of similar to Windows, like you know, actual on-prem stuff. Is you think like a system administrator yep. first. You figure out how the service works, how everything integrates. And then, you know, all right, how can this be abused now? Yeah, correct. How Man. could I take advantage of this if I were a bad guy? That's yep. a really good way to put it. Like, I think one thing within security is people want to jump into the being that security engineer, yeah. right? But you, I think the majority of times, the best security engineers were previously sysadmins. Yeah. Like when I was in college, that thought process. at least have that yeah. thought process right. or like, you know, no, I agree, you know, moved around in that. Like, for example, when I was in college, I did help desk forever. And that yeah. gave me a, I hated that. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't do help desk. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like to tell people that are new to the industry. It's like, uh, sometimes it's worth taking taking that leap of faith and yeah. going for a relatively unknown technology. So, like my my story was, I like got in when I was in the Air Force. People had been talking about PowerShell, and they're like, "We had these v before we did the PowerShell stuff, where you run Git process across everything." Right. People were using VB Script because oh, uh, you could you could leverage WMI to yeah. make remote requests through yeah. VB Script. 
but it was like clunky and you couldn't read it and all yeah. kinds of stuff, right? right. And uh, but ev- and everybody was talking about PowerShell, but like the the extent of the conversation was like, oh well, we know that PowerShell is probably better and it's powerful, and it's like, oh cool, okay, <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, yeah <laughs> you took took a lot of description in the top yeah, surface, yeah, it took a lot of like really like digging in to figure that that one out. Um, and so like, but people have been talking about it for six months, and then we went to I went to a um, an exercise called Terminal Fury. This is a military exercise in Hawaii. Hawaii, I guess, and uh, and I learned. I like I'm obsessed with language, and I've been looking. And apparently, Hawaiian is a relatively easy language to learn, but you have to be very good at glottal stops. Which, uh, like, you know, how every time there's an apostrophe, like yeah. in Hawaii, you have to have a glottal stop. So, like the the English version of a glottal stop is uh oh, right? which my son yeah. actually is like now obsessed with. Saying yeah, 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 yeah. same. So, yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the. Uh, but yeah, while I was there, I bought Don Jones's book, uh, Learn PowerShell in a Month of Lunches. And it mm-hmm. was like, well, nobody freaking understands how, nobody that is like, that I'm working with understands right. PowerShell. We just talk about it a lot. And yeah. so like, I'm going to actually look into this and figure it out. And yeah. like, we got it going and I read it over a weekend. So I ate a lot of lunches over a weekend. And, uh, <laughs> and then we like got it working and it was great. Right. And then yeah. like, you could use PowerShell remoting and we learned how to work that and everything. Yep. And so it was like, became an expert like that yep. over a weekend right. because I was exactly. interested in something that everybody had talked about, but nobody took the time to yep. learn. And Ab- so it's like, absolutely. you know, it's cool to, to learn what other people have already learned or learn the common technologies that are being used yeah. like active directory. But it's yeah. like, sometimes yeah. if you want to set yourself apart, find the thing that nobody else knows yeah. or that people are talking about in this like really obscure or like abstract it, it on a very high term. level. Like, yeah, like you can always tell there's, it. there's a barrier. Sorry to make it go off. No, go, yeah. There's a barrier by which there's never passed. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think RPC was something like that for me was, you know, there's very few people like James Warshaw, Lee, that, like, really understood RPC. Yep. And that was, like, the reason why I wanted to dive into it. One thing that, like, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They asked me what my niche was, and I was talking to them about it. And then, because um, I just like to look into a whole bunch of different shit right now. Like, it's, I don't know if I'd say I have a niche. Um, but I was like, well, one thing I, I can tell you I'm not interested in is Kerberos. And the reason why, <laughs> it's not that Kerberos isn't interesting. It's not that it's, like, not, you know, great or whatever, but it's just, like, there's so many – it's so it's such a saturated piece of, yeah. like, knowledge it's base. It's very like, specific. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of re- – yeah. I, like, well, like, I feel like whoever's going to find something out cool yeah. will find it out ages before me. Yep. Um, And so it's not one of those things where I want to spend my nights of research and be like, oh, sweet, oh. You well, know? your nights of research are the most constrained resource that you have, right? Because, like, yeah. first of all, yeah. to be able to do the research to discover things, it, you, have, you have to have some general level of expertise in the, right. like, technology right. field yep. in general, right? And so yep. – not everybody in the industry has that. Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, well, I have this capability that is uh, a constrained resource. And so how do I leverage that in the most appropriate yeah. Yeah. way? Well, I'm not going to leverage it doing the thing that everybody else is doing because yeah. like, I could just trust that they're hopefully going to do a good job of that. Let me yeah. like yeah. apply this. But yeah, like RPC is one of those things that when somebody says... Yeah, I would explain it, but it's like really complicated. That's like that is the, <laughs> that's your kind of tell. That, that's your indicator that this is something that I should look into because it's yeah. probably not as complicated. It's really this person just doesn't know yeah. enough about it to dig into it. I think one thing that you can really tell someone's knowledge on a technology is when you ask a question and they gauge where at what technical depth you want. To yeah, go. definitely. Um, yeah, you're great at this. You're great at this. Um, you know, Matt Hand, Graber are both great at this, and like. Like, for example, I've been looking at ETW stuff quite a bit, and which Hand and Graber both love. And, like, six months ago when I talked about ETW, it was, like, surface level because like, yep. they could gauge that. Yep. 
and then deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's how you really know how someone understands something is being like, okay, like start off with this, go, go spend some time research and then come back. And yeah. then we can kind of walk through that. But I, with Azure, unfortunately, I don't feel like there was a, there wasn't that person right. to like necessarily go to and say like, cool, who do I ask this question to? It's more like, yeah. Oh, I gotta just like struggle bust this and figure it out, yeah. which I mean is a valuable lesson for sure. But yep. um, it makes it slower. It makes no, it absolutely. slow and, and painful. So I think one of the challenges that I had too, both it was a challenge and it was helpful, was my knowledge bias towards on premise and Windows in general, right? Yeah. Because let's say you know I was knowledgeable of Active Directory. I am knowledgeable of Active Directory. Yeah. Right? Um, and now I have to so, learn about. Hey, don't be too humble, man. This man knows a pretty good amount of Kuros and Active Directory. Okay, so. <laughs> so now I have to learn about Active or Azure Active Directory. I'm like, okay, well, is it not the same thing? Well, it turns out not really. You know, yeah, yes, yeah. there's service principles. Yes, there's users and groups, but the way it does things is different. And it's like, all right, you have Azure Active Directory and those roles that they pertain to Azure AD, and now you have like Azure Resources, which has a completely different set of roles and yeah. permissions and stuff like that. So, you know, just learning the overall architecture of how Azure does things and then how it does RBAC is very, uh, that took me like almost a month to learn. Wow. Just because the documentation wasn't there. Now I could say, when I go and look back at the documentation, it's been updated and it like actually makes sense. Like there's actually a graphic that shows you how Azure is laid out. Where, yeah. you know, three years ago, it was not that. I was yeah. just, yeah. I was watching videos of, like, how stuff works. <laughs> it's just yeah. a nightmare. Well, I guess one thing, too, is, like, we have to remember that Azure is still growing. It's still developing. Oh, yeah. You know, like, Windows yeah. has been around since, yeah. Jared Hong has been since around. You are born, like, right before <laughs> Windows came out, right? I don't know. Anyways. Wow. <laughs> it's been a... <laughs> It's been around. I just want everybody to know the reason why I have this mic stand leaning on this is because I figured I'd roast myself before Jared roast me is because the it's mic stand's too tall for me whenever I'm sitting down. So we we offered him some pillows to sit on, but he thought he would. Get I was going to let the hard. I was going to let everybody roast me on that. So, anyways, but uh, it's one of those things that's still developing. I don't know if you if you can like if you can openly say this, but would you say that like Microsoft as a whole is pretty open to people submitting issues for things that they would like to see and working on those from a security perspective, not just yes. a development perspective? No, absolutely. I, so I think like one of the first things I found uh, once I started doing Azure research at, in Microsoft, I found something related to how permissions were set in a specific service on an Azure VM. And I brought this up internally and I immediately got a response within, you know, like a week or something saying, thanks, we know about this already and we're already developing something for it. So to know that like they're being proactive and they have, there's a lot of teams that are focusing on Azure research yeah, and from a security perspective. But not on, them Halo servers. <laughs> in <laughs> Azure. Uh, so my team, for example, um, part of the Azure Edge team, I, I'm probably the only Azure researcher on our side, yeah. yet there's also like the O365 team that yeah. has a handful of Azure researchers. You have the actual Azure Red team that does that. Yep. There's a lot of different teams at Microsoft that focus on Azure uh, security research. So yeah, there's a lot of dedicated resources towards it. And then actually one of the VPs is Mark Ross for Azure. Okay. So he is very, as you know, the, the writer of Sysmon, or creator of Sysmon has a focus towards security. So with yeah. him being a VP of Azure Services, um, he understands that security yeah. needs to be a focus. So yeah. So this month for Azure coming to you soon. Oh man. I hope so. That'd be kind of crazy, just wouldn't it? Build it in, man. Yeah, I mean it would just, just be built in. It would just be enhanced longer. Just <laughs> being uh yeah, whichever analytic platform you guys have, there's like five, so probably be another license, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>
They, uh, one of the interesting things you talked about was this idea of being able to break down uh, technical concepts and yes. gauge where somebody's like ready to be dealing with it. And it, it's really this idea, like I think abstraction rules the world, right? Yes. And the whole idea is, is that Luke's back there laughing at me, but uh, the whole the whole, rules the world. You came up with a whole concept around it. <laughs> what does abstraction? No, like I'm saying, it's outside of just info set. Oh, right? gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but the uh, this idea is like, okay, well, what is a Windows service, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you can yeah. say, oh, well, it's like a, a securable object that yep. is like, or a Windows service might be something that run like a process that runs in the background or something. Yeah, right. It's like okay, but like. What is like, yeah, like what's right. that, right? Yeah. And so, like, yeah. what is a process? And you could keep going down this like this path of abstraction until you like really understand it. And like, I think it's actually impossible to get to the bottom of it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the things you have to ask yourself. Engage like, does a person want to know for one or two reasons? You have research, yeah. right? Like they want to go and dive in, so you give them a little bit of knowledge, and then they just like keep digging themselves. Uh, for those who can't see, Jared's drinking C four. Um, please sponsor us. Um, <laughs> And you need to have the second Great, piece. Now I have to blur that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. Rip. Yeah. So second thing is, um, <laughs> second thing is for work, right? So um, how do they just need the information to get the job done that they're doing at that time? They're not actually interested per se in the actual information. And I think like understanding the differences in those is super important as well. Well, there's this this interesting idea with abstraction of we're viewing everything through abstract concepts, right? Yeah. So like when I look at, there's a tree right to Ryan's left, right? When I look at that tree, I see a tree. Well, a tree is an abstraction, right? There's branches and there's leaves. But then when you look at a leaf, yeah. there's, you know, within a leaf, there's cells, yep. right? And yeah, like, right. I'm, you could just keep going right. further and then there's atoms the and atoms, you go yeah, further. Right. But like, the question is, is that at what point am I, like, how do I know that I'm at the correct abstraction layer, right? Yes. Because, like, it doesn't necessarily benefit me to look at the cellular level of the tree unless, right. like, I have an actual purpose to do that, yeah. right? And when we're talking about, like, cybersecurity or anything, one of the ways that I try to judge it is based on anomalies, right? So anomaly is an indication that you are viewing the problem, that you don't fully understand the problem, yeah. right? So, like, basically, if I put something into the world and I have an expectation of what the result of putting that into the world is, and then that that result, the actual result is different than my predicted, my hypothesis. Yeah. That means that my the level of abstraction that I'm viewing the problem at is insufficient. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that like that that could be a false positive, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I think also like the deeper you go, if you have to figure out why you want to know the information like you were mentioning, and if the deeper you go, it could become more confusing to what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, with the information at hand, so it's like you might only want to scratch a certain level of knowledge to achieve the purpose of why you want to know that information or, you know, like one of my issues is like, I like to like know all the, I like to dive deeper and deeper and deeper. And I catch myself so many times. I'd be like, well, great. Now I have to look into this other thing, which I haven't even scratched the surface level of that, but I have to dive into that deeper to even understand this. So it it becomes a confusing circle. Well, and the the analytical cost, the deeper you go is higher, right? So like right now I'm looking at, you know, 500 leaves or whatever, right? Yeah. But if I want to look at the cellular level, I have to look at each leaf individually, yeah, which time means that the cost is yeah significantly higher. So yep. you got to be really yeah. careful about. Uh, you want to be at the least or the most abstract level possible. Yep. Um, but the danger is, is that we're too abstract, I guess, and then you, then you make a lot of assumptions that you shouldn't be making. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yep, exactly. Would you say? Uh, I think, like, obviously, like, one conversation we had earlier about Microsoft documentation and how it, like, lacks a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Do you think 
the reason why that is is because Microsoft themselves is trying to gauge the level by which the reader wants, um, or do you think it's just like the amount of? <laughs> I see you laughing, so I'll just let you go ahead and take it from there. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, I think like it's an issue of just having the right people actually write out the documentation. Okay, um, you can actually there's a lot of the documentation is driven through GitHub. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. So you can pretty discern by who's making the pushes to the repos and yeah. stuff like that, who's actually writing the documentation. And a lot of times it's not actual Microsoft employees, but like contractors and stuff. Okay. So, you know, I think it's an issue of just project management at some point. Okay. So, and, get, um, and getting those technical concepts across appropriately. Yeah, I think so. And I think the other stuff too, like for example, um, there's two major uh, PowerShell modules for Azure. You have one specifically for Azure AD, and then you have one for Azure Resources, but it, that also has a little like Azure AD stuff. The one specifically for Azure AD is kind of like going the way of the Dodo. They're kind of you know just sunsetting it. Okay. So that historically has had very poor documentation. Um, and now it's like, well, it's still an active supported module, even though it's being eventually yeah. sunsetted. And you still rely on those but the documentation's never ever going to come just because it has a shelf life. So okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know about the the GitHub docs until I guess kind of recently. There was I saw that a new privilege was added to tokens. Yeah, or there's a new privilege out, and I was like looking. I was like, well, I've looked at this doc like for the past like three months. I haven't seen this, and it was updated like yesterday. So that's weird. Let me go look at this, and then someone showed <laughs> me there was a GitHub, and I was like, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's so, gnarly. So one of the things that I want. As a Microsoft employee, I always want to do is like, well, I had a question, for example, around a certain API call uh, relating to an Azure module. And I wanted to figure out, like, so there was missing documentation. So I'm like, all right, I'll just look on GitHub, see who's making the, the push and stuff like that. Send and, an email. Yeah. Like, I was literally just going to message him on Teams. Yep, and yeah. I did that. <laughs> like, the person who did it wasn't even, even though their name, they made the pushes on GitHub, they weren't the actual writer. They were just like a PM. So yeah, that they it, might know who the writer so was. So it took like two weeks for them to actually like relay me to the writers. Oh, geez. And yeah, it was <laughs> it was like by then I figured that out. That's abstraction, right? That's that what was, we were just talking abstraction. about. I saw a tweet this week, it was hilarious. <laughs> I died laughing and someone asked her like uh something like, How hard is it for you to get in touch with the right team at Microsoft when you experience an issue? And you replied, you said, Terrible, even when you work for Microsoft or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's all about who you know, even yeah. Yeah. even when you work for the company. It's such a massive company, right? Yeah. And then yeah, yeah there's the proper channels and stuff like that. But with it being such a massive company, even so, there's still a backlog of like, you know, issues that MSRC has to get through. Yeah. So I completely get it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like make myself more special by having that inside contact that I can just message and say, hey, you know, this is what I found. Who should I talk to about this? And kind yeah. of fast track it that way. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a double edged sword. Yeah, I I saw that tweet and I yeah. dude, I died laughing. I was like, this. Is, I remember sending it to you. I was like, bro, this is hilarious. Oh man, it's craziness. Nope. But yeah, when it when it comes to logs in general, like I think it's it's a very kind of abstract. Like kind of you're talking about is like, what type of logs do we want? What type of logs do we need? Because oftentimes we we run across an issue. Yep. Um, and like I use RPC and like tokens, for example, yeah. like everybody's always like, oh, what? or some people look into Kerberos stuff and they're like, yeah. I, I wish Kerberos was easier to attack, but all I see is like TGS requests. And it's like, well, that's what Kerberos is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I think there's, there's this, there's this, so that 
so curb roasting is I said this to trigger Jared. Just yeah, curb roasting is an <laughs> abstraction layer, right? And so like yeah. there's a subset of people, and I've been guilty of this in the past. Like uh to tell the story. Uh when I was in the Air Force, we were doing another exercise actually in Las Vegas where we happen to be right now, um, called Red Flag. And uh it was like I don't know if it was right when golden tickets had come out, but it was like when we had first become aware of golden tickets, I guess. And uh, I remember I was on the blue team and the white cell, like the people that were running the exercise came in and they're like, the red team has a golden ticket. And then we're like, oh, dang, we better go figure out uh, how to detect a golden ticket. Like, what? And it's like, what are you doing to detect the golden ticket? And like, we never stopped to be like, what is a golden ticket? (laughs) And we had no freaking idea, but we were like, we were struggling to find that damn golden ticket, but we didn't even know what it was in the first place. And so the question is, is like, how do you break, like golden tickets are nice because assuming that everybody understands what's abstracted by the term, Mm -hmm. then we could just like, I don't have to say, oh, a forged ticket grant, Kerberos ticket grant ticket every single time. I could just say golden tickets easier, right? But then you run into this problem to where we only talk about the abstraction and then there's a subset of people within the industry uh, and like generally I think this tends to be a very large subset, right? That don't actually understand underneath that first layer. And so they're talking about golden tickets, but they don't actually understand what that is. And if you don't understand what a golden ticket is, you have no freaking clue how to, how to detect it. Right. And so like when you start saying like, what should we be logging? It's like, well, what are the logs are just our way. So it's like, if it's like actions, yeah, whenever you like this, the, I guess it's a cliche, but it's like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? It's like, of course it does. You just didn't have a sensory mechanism to capture that. Right. And so, the question is, is like, what are the actions or like the, the physical or the conceptual things that can happen? And like, what information do I want to know about it? So you almost have to reverse engineer. It's like, what's possible? And then like, what about that do I want to know? Yeah. And like, what can I glean? And then you start to reverse engineer what types of logging well, would then, be valuable. I and then you get into like issues where it's like, people are like, oh, I want this logging capability. But no, they want to complain and be like, I mean, I've been guilty of this and been like, oh well, this is way too loud to do anything with. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to bring yeah. a- then you have to bring pieces of yeah. data in from other logs or other events, essentially, yeah. to actually like narrow yeah, in. Yeah, yeah exactly. my whole theory is you add you create numerous layers of detection, right? So right. like you detect yeah. you detect a very generic behavior, which might just be as simple as like this log. We talked about this with Steve, I yeah, with Steve, yep. yeah. And then the next thing is like, okay, well, like what about that action do I actually care about? Well, yeah. like a service being created. Okay, cool. I know a service was created, but like, I actually only care about, uh, services being used for persistence. So I might look for auto start, like the auto start feature, right? And like you have this narrowing functionality. Yeah. It's like, well, another thing too is like, um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like talking about whenever a, you know, a malicious process spawns. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's super hard to quote unquote detect. Um, the question is like, do I care about like system level processes spawning more than I care about, you know, medium and terry level process. Yeah, absolutely, I would say. And yeah. so I would want to, like, dive into that, you know, more from a detection layering perspective. Um, you have to be able to answer what is a malicious, what is a malicious process. Yeah, the, the question is, right yeah, now. and the question is, like, what's malicious? So it's like, yeah. um, and then, an easy yeah, it, no, it's not. <laughs> and then you open that door and it's like, okay, well, now you have to discern between the malicious actor and a, and a drunk admin, right? This is what people say all the time. Yeah, um, sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So, sometimes I think it's, um, I don't know that you actually do have to discern that because you probably want to know about both. Yeah, I would agree. And so, like, yeah, uh, at the detection phase, you do not have to discern that. You yeah. could discern that at right. the remediation intermediation. Phase. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, yeah, true. Yeah, it's that's. I, I don't know. The whole thing is layers. I think because it's I like agree. you you could push off the harder part of the question till later when you like yeah. 
yeah, there's something, I don't know, going back to the tree analogy, I don't know if this is going to be beneficial, but like <laughs> I have to look at the 500 leaves to then choose which leaf I'm interested in, right? Yeah, but yeah. the question that I answer when I'm looking at an individual leaf versus the question that I ask when I'm looking at 500 leaves has yep. to inherently be different. Yeah. Right. And but I'll, like ideally there's some sort of like coherence through those questions, right? Yeah. So the question that I'm asking at 500 leaves should lead me towards the question that I want to ask when there's one leaf. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like a, a good point to that too is like the sharing of knowledge to another analyst or another person. Like for example, we're taking the tree, for example, like it could be like my lack of understanding agriculture or but I look at that tree and I think of a bush. You know, so I don't know actually if that's an actual bush. I don't know if that's a tree. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, but the question is, is <laughs> it's like a bushy what I mean, what is a bush? <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly. A bush so, is an abstraction. <laughs> but it's like but you but you walk but you like transfer this knowledge and you have to like you don't necessarily have to gauge what other people's perception is, but then like them having to change what their perception of something is to truly understand what you're saying is somewhat difficult at times. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, I don't, I don't know if this is, you made me think of this. I don't know how relevant this is, but it's, it's actually an interesting thing because like, you know, words are abstractions, right? So yeah. a bush or a tree that's abstract, but there's, there's actually like in different languages, you have different levels of granularity. So like mm. I, I'm learning mm. Italian right now. And one of the things that, one of the words that's actually complicated for me to understand is this word uh nipote which means it either means niece nephew or grandchild (laughs) and so like you're supposed to be able to discern the like the context based on like who's speaking so if it's like an older person they're they're more likely to be speaking about their grandchild grandchild. okay then if if it's like i don't have a grand like it's pretty obvious that it would be physically almost impossible for me to have a grandchild and so then like (laughs) if i say nipote i'm probably talking about my niece or nephew it is vegas man yeah fair enough but uh <laughs> but then like you and so like but we have you know niece nephew we yeah, have yeah. grand grandson granddaughter and so we have the ability to be more uh dirt, like clear about what we're talking about but then you also like in korean for instance they have different words for like older brother yeah. and younger brother and older sister and younger sister because like there's actual meaning in the language and like you have like yeah. uh, i forget what it's called but like you have a way to show like honorifics i think they call it to where like Older people, you have to speak in a different way to them than you would to like younger people because you have to be like more respectful. respectful. Yeah. yeah, and so like um, there's like uh, there's a function of language of like how your abstraction or your perspective appears, right? And like yeah. there's this weird thing to where Microsoft defines what a service is, yeah. right? And they they present it at abstraction layer X, yeah. and like it's our job to say like, are we going to accept the language that they've kind of foisted on us yep. or are we going to create our own language to re reinvent and allow us to discuss this thing at a better better level yeah i think i think on that point too is like also understanding the layers of which like microsoft has their products right so it's like for someone who doesn't understand cloud like myself like yeah. i look at azure and i look at you know on-prem versus in the cloud virtual machines i just think and i don't even know if this is accurate but i look at azure as an abstraction higher than whatever the VM is. So you'd have like your own, like if we're talking about from a logging perspective, like I would imagine you'd have your own logging on the virtual machine and then you have another abstraction higher where it's like what's being done to the virtual machine and then who's who's actually um, accessing the Azure resources, things like that. I feel like once you understand the abstractions, I feel like there's actually almost like different different types of abstractions like you have abstractions in that area where you understand the depth by which the technologies are being done then you have the abstraction by meanings by which things like mean at a technical depth would you agree with that Uh, yeah i think it's all the same but like 
yeah, there could be an abstraction of abstractions potentially. Yeah. But well, now we're like entering into the matrix. Now it's inception. Yeah. Inception. Yeah, yeah but I, I, the reason why I say all that is I, I feel like abstraction. I feel like part of our job in InfoSec is like understand what those abstractions are and then understand the flow by which those logs can be circulated through. Because yep. um, then we can understand what can we actually do with those logs and how can it be helpful for our defender, et cetera. Um, I think, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think... I think so. I think in the way that Microsoft handles logging in Azure makes that difficult. Yeah. Um, I think that just the amount of data with it being controlled by Microsoft makes it extremely difficult to do that sometimes. Yeah. I think, you know, you get you get all or nothing. Like, you don't get to choose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, and then, you know, at the same time, when more services come out, they have to write the actual um, logs behind that, right? So, for example, they just release Kerberos for Azure. Oh, um, boy. oh God. Yeah. So I read the blog. <laughs> and there's no, there's no ETW Kerberos channel that well, you can, or provider that right. you can use. So yeah. I think it, when I read the blog, it was something like as a, an alternative to SAML or something like that. I didn't, yeah. Anyways, um, so now you have to expect certain type of logs for that. Now it's like, now you have to ask yourself, well, is Kerberosting for Azure a thing? Or is it, you know, something different? Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, you know, every time a new service comes out, you have to see the logs and see like what they're giving you. And then if they don't have it, you have to put in a feature request and you're yeah. at the mercy of them. So, yeah. Oh man. Man, it's almost like, huh. You know, it's like you have to, under, you have to abstract the technologies and what it means, but then you have to abstract w how the technologies are applied to other technologies. And what does that mean? I think, I think the way that they approach, uh, security is more of a prevention than the actual yeah. detection and when I, it comes to azure at least. i would i would agree with that because like i would say like from the the majority of the time like if someone like posts something kind of like weird on twitter mm -hmm. um and i'm looking into it and i'll try to run it like defender seems like if i update my box like defender seems to like automatically catch that default thing yeah. um Maybe and there's an ai defender that trolls twitter or like trolls 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 twitter <laughs> yeah and looks for those tweets it's like look at this and then it's like nope not anymore I'm gonna yeah. well exactly like, like literally one day it was like a, like i don't remember what day it was like someone released something and i was like oh cool i'm gonna go check play with this defender ate it and i'm like yeah this yeah. is exactly what they were doing. Like, and I was like, I, to be fair, I'm like, I'm impressed I, by that. No, so the like, Defender that, team is actually like really good at doing but, that. So yeah. I found so with Defender Cloud, there was an issue with my tool. Um, the way that they wrote the detection was based on the order of operations in the function, and like I, I kind of called them out on it, and it was fixed like within a week. Because you yeah. could change the order. You're saying you could change. Yeah, the order of operations great, presuming that the like uh, for instance with like process injection the order of yes. operations is somewhat fixed right yes. because yeah. like you yeah. you can't write to a memory segment that hasn't been allocated let's say yeah. um i mean you could write to a previously allocated memory segment that's not in use but let's just for sake of conversation right yeah. right you have to do virtual that far in that abstraction memory. yeah you have to do virtual alloc before you do write process memory <laughs> yeah um but yeah if it, it, like you have to make sure that it's actually like yeah. yeah there's a dependency yeah it's yeah one thing that bugs me is like you'll see all the time it's like oh we can detect like or He's like, understand there's between prevention and detection. Like, when Defender eats something, to me, that's prevention. Yes. And prevention's job is not to prevent every, like, it's not It's not supposed to, to quote-unquote, detect on a behavior and prevent that. Let me throw this at you. Prevention is simply the automated uh, funnel. The funnel being automated completely. From a very, like, from a very precise detection standpoint, I would say yes. Well, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah. so it is detection, yeah. right? So yeah. it, it has collection, right? Because you can't detect, right. you can't yeah. prevent something you can't 
but it's on that it's, yeah. it's on that precise spectrum level where it's like yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily it it probably can't be as broad as manual like yeah. more manual stuff but like conceptually it could be more broad than it it doesn't have to be fully on the precise end of the spectrum yeah but but yeah it's basically it's just uh the the uh the tie between detection and remediation yeah. is rel- like is basically zero yeah. i would agree with that like and i know we're coming to an end here in a second but like yeah. i will say before we go like i think prevention is simply just creating resistance for uh, an attacker where detection is supposed to be setting up trigger points that prevention is supposed to lead the attacker to so you can find them in the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like you definitely want detection on top of your prevention, right? Oh, so, like, you need to, you need to validate that it's something. working. Oh, yeah, you want to know if you're under attack. No, like, absolutely. Yeah. I think, no, I, I, you know, there's a lot more, I think, tools available for Azure at least on the prevention side than yeah. there is the yeah. actual detection side. So, you know, one of the things that they do really well is a, a, a feature called uh, privilege management, privilege identity management, mm. which allows you yeah. to set a role to a user, but they have to go into the portal, right? Yeah. They have to yeah. go into the portal and check it out, which you can say, hey, it needs to go to this person and they have to approve it. Or it's only available for like two hours or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's quite annoying actually. It is, no, it's definitely <laughs> annoying, but it's a good way of like, you know, restricting access. And yep. It's a way of prevention, right? Yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, there's there's just a lot of different cases like that and stuff. Yeah, yeah. a lot of our customers have that on their, like using uh, DATP or whatever yep. it's called nowadays. Yep. Um, you, the, have, you have to use gosh, PIM, right yeah. Now. Sorry. So the funny thing about PIM is uh, if they give you a role that you can actually edit PIM roles, oh. you can just permanently give yourself that role. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That would be in like the Azure attack graph. That would be one of the yeah. uh, yep. primitives. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Awesome, dude. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I think we're uh, Thank at you guys the so end much of for having me. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. We're at the end of the podcast. We appreciate you being here. Coming coming all the way to uh, to Vegas just for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Appreciate that. At least that's what all the wives think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and before we close, I just want the world to know that uh, I continuously have to carry uh, Ryan over here in Rocket League. Okay. <laughs> Cut the podcast. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's because Ryan has to carry you in Halo every time. Hey, what's and your, I have to carry uh, you in Call of Duty. What's your like r- ranking? I'm Diamond what? something. Oh, you know, champ. Just saying. <laughs> wow. All right, now All we're right. cutting the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Detection Challenging Paradigms. If you want to keep up with us, you can do so on Twitter at DCP the Podcast or on our website, dcppodcast.com, where you'll find links to all previous episodes and their episode guides, as well as to our store, where 100% of our proceeds benefit charity. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.